Hey, Unnaturalists, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to the haunty spook spook edition <laughs> of your favorite true crime podcast, Unnatural. <laughs> oh, don't worry. We're not going to talk like that the entire episode. No, I wouldn't be able to take myself seriously at all. My voice would start hurting too much, I think, but <laughs> it's another haunty spook spook edition. I know. It's been like a whole year since we've I been. know. Spooky this is our favorite time of the year. The corner. Yeah, I went to um, a haunted hayride yesterday. You went to one. You just got home from one. Like an hour ago. Not even an hour ago. A half hour ago, I got home. From a killer clown one. Not yeah. actual killer clowns, thankfully, though. How was it? That I know of. Yeah, really good. Really good. I loved it. It was about 30 minutes long almost to walk through the whole thing. So, that's yeah. uh, you get your money's worth there. I liked it. Nice. Awesome. We'll have, Some, to, we'll have to chat more about it at length when we're done recording. For sure. I want to know. Well, since it is our special edition, Haunty Spook Spook, each of us have some fun kind of Halloween-y stories <laughs> for you guys. I'm, I'm good with that description. Now, mine's a little different than it has been in years past. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Yeah, you can go first. Okay. You can go first. And mine, well, do you want to give a hint first as to what yours is going to be? Well, mine is we are just going to briefly talk about a couple that I think most of us who are into scary movies and Halloween know about because there have been several very popular movies and television shows about like loosely based on them. Can you guess who it is? Not off the top of my head, but... It Color me intrigued, Emily. I can't mm -hmm. wait for that one. Mm -hmm. First, like I said, I'm going to go a little outside the box. And we're not... Usually I like do paranormal stuff. Or last year I did some werewolves. This time it's all about murders that happened on Halloween. Crazy stuff too. Should we get into it? Let's do it. of five different murders that happened on Halloween throughout history, Emily. And I found this on ABC uh, website, but you can find it basically anywhere if you just Google Halloween murders here. But the first one took place really not so long ago, back in 2010, a boy in Ohio named Devin Griffin. He was 16 years old. Sounds like he had been spending the night out and he came home and this is according to the local newspaper the Sandusky Register he came home 
kind of started looking around the house because it was just eerily silent. I don't know if you've ever been in your house before and you're like, okay, it's too quiet in here. Yeah. Something's weird. Something's up. Like if I come home and I don't immediately hear like a cat meowing or like a little cat feed pitter pattering, I'm concerned. Yeah. Me too. If I don't hear my cat, something's wrong. But so we started looking around, trying to figure out what was going on. And that was when he was met with the worst scene possible, which was his stepfather laying in a pool of blood in his bed. Oh, my gosh. So Devin, understandably, freaks out, leaves the scene, calls his aunt, who in turn contacted the local police. As it turned out, fast forward here, because there's a lot of information that we could be talking about here, but this is just kind of the Cliff Notes version. Turns out uh, William Liskey, who was 24 years old and Devin's stepbrother, had used one of those big claw hammers to kill his father, who was also named William. And... After he killed his dad with this big claw hammer, he then picked up his 22 caliber rifle and shot his stepbrother, Derek Griffin, who was 23 years old, and also shot his stepmother, Susan, 43 years old, after sexually assaulting her. Oh. I, I can't believe I had not heard of this one before. I don't know why, like, that is just, like, knowing that, like, like someone was sexually assaulted before they were murdered. Right. Like, that just makes it seem so much worse. Yeah, you know? and it's your stepson, of all people. Yeah. yeah. You know, mm. just absolutely awful. He ended up, uh, William Liskey did plead guilty to three counts of aggravated murder, but he took the easy way out. While he was in prison, he did kill himself in his jail cell back in 2015. Of course he did. Yeah. I hate it when they do that. I know. I know. I'm with you. And it, it happens quite often, and it makes you wonder, you know, and most prisons, they put in stringent policies to make sure that inmates can't get things that harm themselves but i mean sometimes it's just bound to happen i think yeah well i mean like we do know that the prison system is um quite corrupt well it depends so, on which prison i guess yeah you are right i mean if yeah. we're talking jeffrey epstein or something I mean, <laughs> that's a whole other can of worms yeah one that we're not gonna get into today yeah uh, this one is just a quick blurb that I found, and it takes place in Texas back in 1981 when in Amarillo, a 76-year-old nun named Sister Tadia Benz was found inside her room in the convent where she lived, and she was dead. As it turns out, a guy by the name of Johnny Frank Garrett, he had lived across the street from the convent, was found guilty of sexually assaulting and strangling Sister Benz 
according to the District Court of North Texas. God, when just, did you say that was? 80-something? Yeah, 1981. Ugh. Another That's one. Sad. I know. This one really freaked me out. I had never heard of the Toolbox Killers before, but that was two guys who were known for a number of murders. And back on Halloween of 1979, Shirley Ledford was picked up in a van by the Toolbox murders. Now, unfortunately, she didn't know they were murders. She just thought they were guys that were going to help her out because she was hitchhiking. Right. Their names were Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris. I feel like I've heard of them. Well, the reason they were called the Toolbox Murders was because it's pretty obvious they would use things that you would find in a normal toolbox to kill their victims. Things like hammers, pliers, even ice picks. And this was all down in Southern California. So first they tortured Shirley and then killed her and disposed of her body on a stranger's lawn. Can you imagine? You you wake up and... Dumped her body in someone's front yard. <laughs> yeah. That is insane. I mean, clearly they weren't really going to <laughs> very much effort trying to conceal her from the public. Right. Well, and there are lots of killers that we know of that do that on purpose because they want... They want the body to be found and they want like that well notoriety or whatever. That body's definitely going to be found if it's on a front yard, which it was. And But the good news is, if there's any good news that come of, comes of this, this was actually the final victim of the toolbox killers because an acquaintance then turned them in. Bittaker was sentenced to death in March of 19... 19- 81, he later would die of natural causes in San Quentin prison. Mm-hmm. And Norris took a plea deal for life in prison. He also died of natural causes back in 2020. Moving on to what is called a Halloween crime of passion here. It was a long Halloween nights. Peter and Betty Fabiano in the middle of the night, awoke to a doorbell ringing. And this is back in 1957. Well, Peter thought, hey, maybe it's some really late night trick-or-treaters. I mean, Mm -hmm. somebody playing a prank on Halloween night, something like that. Well, Do we forget to turn the porch light off? Yeah, who knows? Well, he goes to the door and he even has the candy in his hand. Oh, my God. That's actually really kind of precious. I know. But he wasn't met by trick-or-treaters. He was met with a woman who was in a mask, and she had a brown bag pointed at the door. You know how you see in those old movies, the person puts their hand in a bag to pretend like it's a gun or something like that. Well, she actually did have a gun in the bag. Struck Peter in the chest, which killed him almost instantly. Oh, my gosh. According to the LA Times later, uh, police arrested a woman by the name of Joan Rabel, who had reportedly 
had a sexual relationship with Peter's wife, Betty. I mean, this this rabbit hole just goes down further here. Wow. Now, Rabel had con- actually convinced another woman, Goldine Pizer, to kill Peter. So, Rabel was convicted eventually after a <laughs> long trial here. She was convicted of second-degree murder. And Jesus. Goldine Pizer was sentenced to five years to life in prison. And I didn't see how long she ended up serving there. But uh, both women were actually later released. And Betty, Peter's wife, was never tried for any kind of connection in her husband's death. Wow. Wow. That's... That's a spicy one. Yeah. I almost wish that we would devote a full episode to that. Maybe next Halloween. we should. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, this is called A Man Who Ruined Halloween. So, back on Halloween night of 1974, a little boy by the name of Timmy O'Brien got home at his house in Houston after a long night of trick-or-treating. His father, named Ronald O'Brien, gave Timmy some candy before he went to bed. I, it was a As pic- one does on Halloween after you yeah. go trick-or-treating. I don't know if you ever had pixie sticks before, but it was a pixie stick. <sighs> Fuck yeah, pixie sticks. <laughs> Is that one of your faves? It's like crack- not literally, I hope. No. Okay, good. But like, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Unfortunately, just a few moments after eating the pixie stick, little Timmy began to vomit all over the place. And sadly, he passed away on his way to the hospital. Now, Ronald, his father, would later say that the candy had been poisoned but after doing some digging and some investigation, police actually discovered that it was Ronald who had poisoned his son with cyanide. Oh, Why is it cyanide all the time? I know. Why are you poisoning your kid? For and what? Right after he gets home from trick-or-treating. For what? Now, it sound, well, it sounds like Ronald O'Brien had recently taken out a life insurance policy on Timmy. Of course he did. And I guess he was trying to gain the life insurance funds to pay all of his debts off. What a douchebag. I mean, wow, the lowest of the low. Wow. Your baby. You're going to kill your baby to get insurance money. I know. To pay off your debt. Go Fuck yourself, dude. Oh, yeah. That is like one of the sickest things I have ever heard. Mm-hmm. And we talk about a lot of fucked up shit on this right. podcast. And that one like is in mm-hmm. my top three of shit that fucking just pisses me off. I'm with you. And not surprisingly, again, this was 1974. This story sparked just a firestorm of media and 
it kind of created that stigma that's still around, at least in the United States to this day, of checking your children's Halloween candy for years and years to come. I'm sure as a mom, you've probably done it before. Made sure that your kids had, you know, all, all the right Halloween candy. Although you live in a small town, I'm not sure if it's as prevalent in small towns. But. Oh, I check it all the time by eating it. So. <laughs> That's what my dad used to always do. Oh, I'm so sorry. You didn't get any Kit Kats this year. Wow. That's <laughs> wild. My dad would always say, oh, you know what? That one looks a little iffy. I'm going to have to check that and make sure it's not poisoned. Well, this is the guy where all of those jokes and stories come from. It's the reason why parents, at least in the U.S., check their kids' Halloween candy. A year after Timmy died, Ronald was found in, found guilty and was given the death penalty. As he should be. Right. So I know those were a little out of the norm in terms of what we usually do for Haunty Spook Spook, but... I had never heard of any of those stories before. It was just kind of crazy. I didn't realize all the shit that went down on Halloween of years past. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I had never heard of any of them, except I have heard of the toy box. Toy toolbox killers. <laughs> Sorry. Are you intrigued by the dark side of things like murder, kidnapping, and sex cults? What about when the criminal is your favorite musician or actor or director or writer? Hollywood might look like all glitz and glamour until you take a closer look. But I'll tell you one thing, that kind of point of view can make you more vulnerable. From Roman Polanski to Mackenzie Phillips to Judith Barcy to Kurt Cobain, Summer predators and summer prey. I'm Dee Dee West, and I just might ruin your childhood. Follow my podcast, Broken Limelight, where I cover celebrity true crime stories. For more information, visit brokenlimelight.com. Again, that's Broken Limelight. Follow it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Have you, Andy, seen um, any of the Conjuring movies? I know I saw the first one. I can't remember if I saw the sequels or not, but I for sure saw the first one, yeah. Okay, so then you might be familiar with the names Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, so that is who we are going to talk about today. So um, if you guys are um, unfamiliar with who Ed and Lorraine Warren were, um, they were very 
kind of famous um, paranormal investigators. They authored several books. Um, They were involved in a lot of several very famous cases of alleged hauntings. Weren't they Um, actually called demonologists? Well, okay, so Ed was a self-taught demonologist. (laughs) And Lorraine said that she was a clairvoyant and a medium and they used like their abilities together so like Mm, that's that's a good team yeah so like he had all of this knowledge of like demons and poltergeists and haunter you know like how all of that works and then Lorraine could you know allegedly like communicate or sense like these evil bad presences mm-hmm. presences yeah i think presences is the right word is that right evil That's a word. yeah evil spirits the presence of evil the evil spirits mm-hmm. the demons if you will um but i think she you know could also um communicate or like sense the dead ghosts Um, So in uh, 1952, they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, which is like the oldest, I think it's still around today, the oldest um, ghost hunting group in New England still to this day. Um, Like I said, they wrote and authored like several books about paranormal, um, like the investigations that they did. Um, They said that they have investigated more than 10,000 cases during their career. They were some of the first paranormal investigators to get involved with like the Amityville. Oh, um, yeah. So they investigated that house. They... Um, did you ever see the movie Annabelle? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was also one. inspired by um, something that they investigated. So the real story is, um, according to the Warrens anyway, in 1968, um, a couple of roommates claimed that their Raggedy Ann doll was possessed by a spirit of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins. So the Warrens went there they were talking to these roommates they were doing their investigation they took the doll and they were like yeah this is this doll is possessed by an inhuman presence and they ended up putting it on display at their family's um occult museum which i really want to go to that place i think that would be really cool Road and trip. like the doll yeah the doll is there and like there's a sign like it's in like this special case you're not supposed to touch it you're not supposed really? to open it yeah oh you're god. not even supposed to make eye contact with the doll oh my god i guess but like as we know in the movie like it's not a raggedy ann mm-hmm. doll but i i don't know i feel like like raggedy ann possessed or not is not like super creepy (laughs) so you know when you're doing film adaptations you take uh liberties yeah for you make it creepier yeah yeah you make it creepier another kind of notable investigation they were involved in was in 1971 at the um they were in harrisville rhode island at the home of the Perrin family that was allegedly haunted by a witch who had lived there in the early 19th century. Mm. And this real life 
alleged story was the inspiration between the first Conjuring movie. And the action, and Lorraine Warren herself was involved in the production and she had like a cameo in the film. Cool. Um, I don't know like where exactly her cameo is, but there's that. Somebody listening probably does. They could let us know. Yeah, probably. You can let us know. Um, they really started really gaining notoriety in this field after they investigated the Amityville house house which we know like there's there's a handful of movies yeah um inspired by this like ryan reynolds is in one of the adaptations which still is such a funny like if you it's before he was ryan ryan reynolds really yeah like ryan reynolds in a horror movie (laughs) that's just funny it doesn't make like I, I, but I also feel like that is the only role he's had where he's not just like a dopey, goofy guy, like making sarcastic jokes. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> I think he definitely gets. The original, original is really good too. Back from the seventies. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. The original one is really good. And then to kind of keep in line with our true crime aspect of this podcast. So they were involved in an investigation. Um, in 1981, a guy by the name of Arnie Johnson was accused of murdering his landlord, Alan Bono. Now this is like, like a really convoluted story. And actually there's another podcast that I saw that did like a four or five part series on this murder. I haven't listened to it, but I just kind of saw it when I was looking stuff up. But so allegedly Arnie was possessed by a demonic entity and the possession had been going on for months and the demon that had possessed Alan like hopped to him from, I believe it was his younger brother. So like his younger brother was allegedly possessed and they did exorcisms and the Warrens got involved. And then maybe um, the demon- It transferred into him? Yeah. Wow. And at trial, at the actual trial, um, I mean like the Warrens- yeah, well, they didn't testify at the trial, but they like they like wrote a letter, like an affidavit, or mm-hmm. like a like a deposition. Is that what I'm thinking mm-hmm. of? Like a deposition. Anyway, that you know they were like, yes, this is demonic possession because they were trying to allow Alan to plead not guilty by reason of demonic possession, which had never ever ever been accepted as you know, a reasonable plea in court to my knowledge that has never been accepted. So they kind of had to switch, switch gears with that trial. Um, and then I think they, they, um, changed it to, Oh, it was self-defense. They Mm. were like, well, he had to kill him because it was self-defense because Alan Bono touched or like grabbed or assaulted Alan's younger cousin and he was protecting her and there was a fight and it was just like this whole thing. He ended up um, being found guilty and went to prison. Um, but this story was the inspiration behind the 
third or fourth Conjuring movie, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. It came out in 2021. I haven't seen that one. I was going to say, now I got to see it. Yeah, I know. Now I want to watch it. Um, But there's also a book about it called The Devil in Connecticut by um, Gerald Brittle. I think he was an attorney or somehow involved Hmm. in this whole debacle. Debacle's a good word. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean like there's a there's a lot of other cases and hauntings that they have been involved in but um you know as you might imagine they have been widely criticized for you know is this real are they just mm-hmm. being performative I mean what do you what do you think about um you know like mediums and ghosts and demons and possession like do you think that's real I I think I haven't been convinced fully. I'm as okay, so you know how with religion they say you can be atheist or agnostic, there's a mm-hmm. difference. Yeah. Atheism means you just don't believe in anything. Right. Agnostic means you just haven't been convinced of it yet. I am agnostic to that. I haven't fully been convinced. There's definitely some weird stuff out there that is completely unexplainable. Mm-hmm. However, there's also been a lot of hoaxes out there mm-hmm. and some of the people you don't necessarily trust. I definitely believed in it more when I was younger. And as I've gotten older, I believe in it less, mm-hmm. I would say. What about I mean, you? I think... I think people can be in tune on different levels to like the energy in the world. You know, like I've definitely, I've definitely had what some might call and what I would maybe even call like paranormal experiences Yeah, that like are really weird and didn't make sense. And like, you could, you could feel just like this, dark and icky energy, energy. almost yeah. yeah like heavy in, in one specific room in this house and like weird things happened in this house and mm-hmm. you know and i wasn't the only one experiencing it right. either it was me and the guy who lived there and his sister like we all had different oh you told me about that yeah i think you've talked about that in a previous spot auntie spook spook actually yeah probably that's like that's like my major kind of ghost story but you know like yeah like i've walked in i mean i don't i don't claim to be a medium or a clairvoyant or anything like that but i definitely feel like you know you can just feel when energy is off in a room, mm-hmm. you know, or like a place. And like, does that mean I think that like demons and possession and stuff are real? I don't know. See, my thing is, is that I think people can be in tuned into this, but like when people start monetizing off of it and try to like yeah. gain fame and notoriety, that's where I, I question it. Yeah. That's why w- one of my least favorite shows are those ghost shows because they never find really a damn thing in those shows. Mm-hmm. Not really. They, they they put all different kinds of sound effects in there and they, they cut to commercial at the right time. But all in all, if they were to actually find something, it wouldn't, 
it wouldn't be just broadcast on those shows. It would be all over the internet. It would be all over the news broadcast. Right. You know, I mean, I think they're entertaining sometimes. Yeah. like some of them are, or like they're fun to watch to like learn the history of these places that they're sure. investigating. You know, and like the yeah. stories. But I mean, beyond that, yeah, it's like super dramatized. Um, For me, it's entertaining. Like Ancient Aliens was entertaining. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah but anyway yeah so yeah the the pair of them you know wrote books did investigations you know they consulted on murders throughout Mm -hmm. their careers um until um so ed died august 23rd 2006 he was 79 and And she didn't die too long ago i don't think yeah no lorraine died in um on april 18th 2019 yeah Um, so just a few years ago and she was 92 at the time that she died and you know if you if you look they have um Tons of books that are really interesting from like titles like Ghost Hunters, True Stories from the World's Most Famous Demonologists. Mm. Um, that's kind of their big one. I think I actually have a copy of that book, but I haven't uh, read it. Um, <laughs> like many books that uh, we accumulate over the years. Yeah, plenty. You know, and then there's- They were definitely a power couple. They were the power couple were. of the paranormal. Yeah. Um, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know that. Okay, I was just kind of like scrolling through. Um, I was looking up the um, book titles. But here, the occult museum that I mentioned that I want to go to. So it says it's n- it's closed to the public now. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's kind of Maybe a it's bummer. Too Maybe haunted. because she died. Because could Lorraine, be. after Lorraine died. Because yeah, it was be. in, I think it was, it was their home in Connecticut. That would make sense then. Yeah, because they had like tons of allegedly haunted objects and not like artifacts and stuff like that. I want right. to go see that. That would be so cool. Well, I mean, hopefully maybe it opens again or like they yeah. move those items somewhere. Could be one of those things where like as their legend lives on. Yeah. Over the years, like more interest is drummed up and it, somebody opens it back up again. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Yeah, because it says the museum is currently owned by Judy Warren and Tony Spera. And Tony is, um, so Judy is their daughter and Tony is her husband. Sounds hmm. like. Hmm. That's cool. I didn't realize they were behind all of that. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I mean, because a lot of people who, you know, like the um, Conjuring movies and, you know, that whole universe, like, you know the names because they're characters in those movies, but you might not know the, like, story of the real people. Mm -hmm. Now you do. Now you do. And if anybody wants to chat more about that paranormal power couple or if you have your own paranormal stories that you want to share let mm-hmm. us know because we would love to hear them and share them on our socials instagram at unnatural podcast facebook unnatural true crime podcast send us a gmail unnatural the podcast at gmail.com i might 
get us a Threads account. Oh, okay. Might. Might. We'll see. TBD on Threads, yeah. because you know that we boycotted Twitter X like a long <laughs> time ago. <laughs> Sorry, Elon. You deserved it, buddy. Well, that's all I got. Coming up next week is our 100th episode. Woo-woo! Oh, my God. And that is crazy. I know it is. 100 it, it episodes. Two and a half years to get here, but here we are. 100 episodes, and we've got some very special stuff planned, including a little bit of a deep dive into some weird, unnatural trivia and some of our amazing outtakes that we've had over the last couple of years. So that's coming up next episode. Right. Well, as always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, share us with your friends, and definitely be sure to come back next week to celebrate 100 episodes with us. We are so excited. Woot woot. I'm raising the roof as we speak. Yes. (laughs) Raise it. But. Make your choices. And don't get got. Bye. I have heard of the toy box, toy toolbox killers. Sorry. I wonder if there are any toy box killers. I hope not. Oh God. Yeah. You don't know the toy box killer? Oh my God! I'm googling it right now. There David is a toy Parker box. Ray. I probably know this guy. Oh, I'm sure you do. Like if you look at him and just kind of look at what he was the guy that he would like kidnap girls and like strap them down to like a chair and then he had that really fucking weird um recording that he would play for them oh i do remember this guy mm-hmm. wow we should cover him yeah he's yeah he, i think he's on my list i don't know about you but my list is like never ending and constantly growing and then uh, i'm yeah. like rearranging it all the time I know. Well, I mean, how many times have we, like, planned to cover one case only to completely 180? Yeah. Do something else. Since we've had one of those, huh? Up, up, up. <laughs> <laughs>